what does the word intentional mean for each of you? I want to go backwards this time. So Matt, what does the word intentional mean for you? Kind of like I, when I said earlier, Ryan, a, a little bit of an eye opener to me with some of these owners, but uh, you, you kind of have to have a goal. I don't want to say you have to, you're kind of, you have to have a goal clearly, clearly stated what that goal is um, and then what it's going to take to get there. Welcome to Intentional Growth, a show that teaches you as a business owner and entrepreneur to view and run your company like a financial asset, which will allow you to enjoy work, create wealth, and make an impact. This mindset will help you focus on building a more valuable business and give you the choices to grow, acquire, reinvest, or exit and live the life you plan for, all with intention. And now here's your host, Ryan Tansom. So here we are, we are on episode 300, and this is literally 300 weeks in a row, almost six years that we have been doing this podcast. What a journey, and I really honestly feel like we're just getting started, and that's what we're going to talk about just in this quick brief intro and then launch into the 300th episode with my partners, Matt and Pat. And I think about why would you tune in? Like, why are you listening to this podcast when there's millions of other ones out there? And it's because there's something about being an entrepreneur where we have this desire for more and to get to this vision that we have for the business and for our lives. And there's really three things that I think every entrepreneur and business owner wants. And this is after all the interviews and my work at the family business and building out Arcona and all the really, I can relate to this so much is that these three things and think about them almost like a Venn diagram is create wealth, enjoy work, and have an impact. And when all three of those things are intersected, you have, you feel like you're making progress towards the vision that you have for you in your life. And if one of those is off, then you're looking for more. And that's what we want to do is help people clarify what they want long-term from their life and their business, and then chart that path forward. And that's really, there's three things that I want this podcast and this show. And honestly, everything that Arcona is doing is we want to help people understand what you want from the business and why. And that's where the five intentional growth principles come to come in because it's understanding what you want and why helps you clarify that point B. And then the second key thing we want out of this show and then the future shows is to help you understand how to grow the enterprise and equity value of your business so you have the freedom of choices to do what you want long-term with the business. And then the third big thing that we want this show to help you with is to help you understand how the financials can be a strategic roadmap to guide you from where you are today to truly clarify what's this company worth today to me? What does it mean? And then what do I want in the future? And then how do you connect point A and point B and then strategically make progress towards getting what you want long term? And how are we going to be doing this in the show? Now that we've hit episode 300, we're going to be reformatting the strategy. And so we're going to be having little mini series. So think about it like a theme. So the first theme we're going to be diving into, it's going to consist of, uh, let me see here, it's four episodes and it's going to be, what do you want from the business and why? So Pat and I are going to be teeing up a lot of these themes and this one, it's going to be my, my uh, dear friend, Bo Burlingham, but really teeing up, what do you want from the business and why having a couple experts, and then we're going to have owner success stories. Stories. The second theme that we're going to be rolling into is how to view your business as a financial asset by clarifying your ownership and your management roles and understanding the three financial targets. So the point is we're going to be taking you on a journey 
giving you little you know bite-sized chunks of like couple episodes here and there that are wrapped together with a theme that and then bringing in guests and then also case studies so that way you can go in and you can just you know binge on a couple episodes and you, you kind of almost have a start and finish and the whole point is going back to those three things is clarifying what you want from the business and why understanding how to grow enterprise value to create more choices, and then using the financials as a strategic roadmap to point you from where you are today to get to where you wanna go so you can create wealth, enjoy work, and have an impact. And we're gonna be teeing this up with my partners, Matt Buskirk and Pat Hobby at Arcona. And it's an hour and 15 minute or so conversation where we're introducing Matt and his background, an amazing introduction to uh, us at Arcona. He bought in uh, to the company in 2021. And we're gonna be talking about, you know, what have we learned? What are, why are we doing this and how does it help you? And then we're gonna be rolling into the, the future series after this week's episode. So thanks everybody for tuning in. And I really hope you enjoy this episode and the future journey we're all gonna be going on together. This episode is brought to you by Arcona's Fractional CFO Services. Arcona's Fractional CFOs integrate into your management team and assume the responsibility of the CFO. They become your strategic financial partner to help you run the business, create your value growth plan, and build the financial roadmap to the valuation you want to achieve. So I have my partners here, Matt and Pat, and I'm super excited because we have got a fun conversation just to talk about what have we learned. Matt has joined us in the last, uh, six, has it been six months now, Matt? <laughs> Something like that. It seems like it's been two weeks, but today we're going to be diving into about what does intentional growth mean? What have we, what are our observations with working with so many people, 300 episodes of the show, kind of just a whole like kickoff of a lot of fun things to come. So I want to kick it off with, you know, Pat, you know, we were before we hit record of like, why, why did we do this? Right? Like, why did we start our going? And I know what you and I joke around about, you were trapped for five days. You had no choice, but <laughs> No choice but to listen to me. Well, let's just start. I did so have I wanted. I wanted to start with like Pat. You know, why? Why are you here at Arcona? Why are you so excited about intentional growth? And then we'll kick it off to Matt to have him dive in his background and why he joined us. Yeah, yeah, I was trapped for for five <laughs> days, ten hours a day, uh, listening to Ryan. But no, it was it was good. You know, Ryan, and I met at a conference, and and uh, um, when when I saw in him when I understood his story and what he had been through and then saw the passion Ryan that you had for wanting to help business owners achieve the things that they set out to achieve. Um, that's what attracted me to, to, to partner up with you back, you know, three and a half years ago now almost. And, and to go on this journey to, to kind of really develop a educational program and a professional services programs to help business owners. I mean, um, so many of them start their business. They're grinding away. Uh, we, we think there are three things every business owner wants. And, and you know, we're here to try and help them get that and to, to help them make progress along that journey. And there was one particular, I, I remember where I was. We were sitting out by the buffet and I said, you told me your story about your background and that'll tie into the rest of this episode too, kind of what we're up to and how we're helping people. But like, I just said, oh my God, if I would have met someone like you, I'd, well, I know I'd still have a business right now. So like, what was it about that, that comment that got you hooked? And because, I mean, you have a lot of choices. You've been through a lot in the past and you don't have to be grinding away at this stage of your career like you are. Um, 
It's right at the time I was working for private a private equity firm. Nothing at all wrong with a private equity firm. Learned a lot there and and, and did a lot. But but I, I saw the chance to get in the part of the game that was working one on one with people who, through no fault of their own, didn't understand what they needed to understand about the marketplace and how to grow their business and how to how to develop options for themselves. Um, and and they were at a disadvantage, just to be honest with you, with with all the sophisticated uh, buyers and, and those kind of people out in the marketplace. And I just saw an opportunity to make a difference at the company level, you know, and every company has owners and all these companies have employees. And, and we started talking about just how many people could we really help and how many, how many employees do these people have? And, um, it, it, and I said the whole world and you said, let's take one at a time. One at a time instead of the entire universe. But, but that was it. I mean, it, it uh, we exist or kind of exist to help business owners achieve their goals that they set out to achieve and to have choices all along that journey. It sounds simple. Um, it, it's, it's more complicated than that, but those are the goals I think. And so as we're about to take this conversation, we're going to unpack the things we learned, like talking about what business owners want and what we've seen that, that, that really truly helps them get clarity and then grow value with with a clear sight of their their point B, and then some of the challenges along the way as, as far as also what is working to help them make progress. But before we kind of jump into that, I want to introduce Matt Buskirk, our new partner. But to, to tee up Matt, I want maybe Pat, you give a, just a quick little clip of your background again, and then how that bridged into when you met Matt, because I think your guys' backstory is important and you can kind of tee it up to Matt, Pat. Matt and Pat, as you see what I'm dealing with. And by the way, Ryan will get our names confused. <laughs> oh, for sure. Program, so don't, anybody, don't anybody worry about that. Well, I, I've been in the fractional CFO services business for decades. Loved it. Went to a different client every day. That was before virtual work was a thing. And used to just travel to different clients. And it was and it was uh, it was not coming at the end of the month and do some work. It was actually being part of the management team, you know, having an office and email address at every place. We're just working with business owners. I had one particular client that was in the food brokerage business and uh, they were growing and they had people in, I think, 26 states at the time. Uh, we made a couple of acquisitions. We grew some more. It took more and more of my time. And, and, and around probably 2010, I became 95% at, at that one client. And I, I was there virtually uh, full time. Like I said, we made an acquisition and it was one of those, you know, you kind of knock on wood because uh, it was just kind of an acquisition that was perfect. We 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 bought the right company. There's a little bit of a story that we'll tell later on about that. Uh, we integrated it well. We took our time. We took it slow, and, and it was going well. But we were stuck, and you know, the owner um, was was kind of at a place where, and and even the whole leadership team. I'm not putting it on anybody. We were at a point where we were. In EOS terms, we were hitting a ceiling, you know, where we were just a little bit stuck. And and the leadership team and I talked to the owner and we're like, we need some new blood in the business. We need some different leadership. And um, he told me he finally agreed to it. And he told me he was going to try and recruit Matt Buskirk. And I said, well, good luck with that. Um, <laughs> that'd be great if we could do that. But that's never going to happen. So can we start a search otherwise as well? Hire a hire a headhunter and, and and start that because you're never going to get Matt 
And at that time, I had never met Matt, but I knew him by reputation. And I thought, we're not that lucky to get somebody like that. Um, he said, well, give me a little bit of time. I think maybe a year later. Um, <laughs> was that right, Matt? Maybe it was a, the courting was a year later. Matt came on board. Um, and it was it was exactly what we needed, you know, from a, uh, a new perspective point of view, somebody with different skills than the rest of the leadership team had. And it just kind of cemented for me the value of a team and, and the value of good communication and good leadership, um, which Matt brought to the table. And, and we were fortunate enough to work together for uh, three or four years, um, went through a lot. Um, but, but that's how I met Matt was, was he came and he was the, he became the, he came to be the president of our company. And, uh, and it was just, it was just an awesome experience. I am so excited to have you here too, Matt, because our recruiting efforts were a little bit easier. It sounded like, because Pat, Pat just called you and said, Hey, you're available. You want to get together. But, um, I, I know you, you guys have an amazing story, about what you did with Harlow HRK and that impact, and we're not going to dive too much into that, but I think Matt, there's some relevant parts about your journey, you know, maybe give a little bit about your background, uh, prior to Harlow HRK, but then also where kind of like the milestones that you were involved in prior to here, because then I want to jump into the rest of the conversation. But I think it's so relevant, your expertise and then your why, I think, is is super impactful. Sure thing. Um, as always, thank you for the kind words. I appreciate it. Um, but my background has actually worked for a large uh, publicly traded Fortune 500 company um, and did a little bit of everything, um, some operations, merchandising, at one point in time, I actually did a five-year tour of duty in IT. Um, Pat and I joke, I'm a data geek at heart in a lot of things, um, but continued to advance my career. And what I really enjoyed more than anything was a leader leadership aspect. And I enjoyed building big teams and coaching and teaching and training. Um, I've said to Pat numerous times, and probably you as well now, Ryan, that if, if I wasn't in this space and, you know, achieved some executive and officer level positions, I probably would have been a counselor because I really like <laughs> I like to work I can, with, vouch, I can vouch for that now. <laughs> I like to work with people and I like to try to solve problems. Um, loved my career. I uh, loved the company I worked for. Had no desire whatsoever to leave. Um, sounds a little cliche, but um, the owner that Pat and I worked for approached me with a lifetime opportunity. Um, said, hey, uh, you know, I'm looking to step back and I want you to come run the company. And it's just a different type of offer and really had to think on that and say, is this something I want to do? Um, and obviously I did. And to Pat's point, it took about a year um, to, to make sure it was right for all parties involved, myself, the company. Um, but I loved that company. I had a high level of respect for uh, the owner, um, did not know Pat at all, but I knew several, several members of the management team. And I wanted to make sure it was going to be a good fit for them um, as well as myself. Um, I did do believe that I brought a different level of skills to certain things. It was a, you know, phenomenal company, uh, high growth, high margin. You know, we were in the right space at the right time. There was a lot of great things going on, um, but we needed to up our game in certain areas. Um, and I think I was able to bring some of that to the table. Um, what I did not know, and Ryan, to your point, talking about some key milestones, is that the, uh, the owner had a pretty high desire to formalize his exit strategy. So I had never really been involved in M&A other than from a mid-level management uh, perspective, working on some integration projects. 
And I think I was on the job for about three weeks and Pat and I were talking to a competitor <laughs> about who we sell the company. It was a little, you know, it was a life learning experience. There's no <laughs> doubt about that. We ultimately did sell the company to the associates and operated as an ESOP. And it was one of the most rewarding things I've ever been through. Um, without a doubt, uh, learned a lot. Um, you know, there were times or the days were long. We were on the phone, you know, nonstop with attorneys and investment bankers and everything. But Pat and I, we, we saw the end game and we knew it was going to be beneficial to the associates. And, and we love, I personally love that model. And I know Pat did as well. What we did not know is that, um, we, we kind of thought that was, you know, going to be the stat at the ownership structure of the company for a while. And we were perfectly fine staying independent. I don't think we realized how attractive we were to other buyers and, and the phone kept ringing and kept ringing and kept ringing. I think we talked to gosh, probably five of the top 10 competitors in our space to the point that it was a, it was a distraction at times. Uh, it truly was got in the way of us running the business. Um, but we, we always find a way to fight through. And then there was a call that was a little bit too attractive to ignore. So we took it and we ultimately sold that company to a competitor, um, a little bit different. They were backed by private equity uh, and it was part of a roll up. We were acquisition number two out of, I believe it was 16 and 18 months. Um, I stayed on my, my dear friend, Pat left me. Um, <laughs> Never he, into m and I haven't stopped since, right? <laughs> he went to go do something else. And, uh, so I served in a couple of different executive roles in that organization uh, and then ultimately became the CEO of that organization. And we, we still had some heavy lifting to do uh, post acquisition around an integration platform and ensuring that that was right. Um, you know, there was numerous times in that role I would look in the CEO handbook and I was faced with a, a, an opportunity or a project that uh, I think they forgot that chapter in the handbook because I couldn't find <laughs> <laughs> um, I would lean on different resources I had in my network and I always stayed close with Pat, dear friend, mentor, and I knew I could always run things past him as well. And um, a little bit surprising, but the, the pandemic had a, a, a very positive effect on our business and it enticed the firm to pursue an exit faster than the original plan. Uh, so we started those discussions around building the book and taking the company to market kind of in the fall of 20 took a while to get that completed, obviously. And then we actually took the company to market uh, very early in 21 and then sold the company in July, uh, entered in negotiation with a couple different parties, but uh, obviously got to the point of one potential or one actual buyer and then sold the company in July of 21. And how long did you retire for? <laughs> um, I was dead set. I was going to take at least a year off. I was ready for the retirement was one of them. Thank goodness. I was definitively ready for a little bit of a break. The the last deal was um, very rewarding, uh, very educational again, um, but challenging. A lot of long days, a lot of long hours, and I was ready for a break. I was truly ready for a break, um, and I was surprised how quickly I got bored um, and started talking to Pat of, Hey, I'm kind of ready. And he said, well, we might have something as well. And then I met you, Ryan. And um, when I met you, I felt like I had known you for 10, 15 years already, obviously because of the mutual connection we have with Pat. Um, but I really did not know what Arcona did when those conversations happened. I did not. The thought of working with uh, you and Pat was enticing to me, uh, but I did not understand what the company did. And then through a series of those conversations, it became very attractive, very attractive. I know what it's like to sit in that chair. Um, it can be challenging. Um, it can be scary at times. Uh, it can be lonely at times. But I also 
I was very impressed with the educational products that you guys had built and the thought that we could help owners, business owners achieve some of the same things that I've been through uh, and avoid some of the things I've been through as well. <laughs> it's as important as anything. I've been through some great acquisitions, some great uh, transactions, uh, without a doubt. And I hope that, you know, not, it's not always about an exit game, but I, I want to help business owners get to the point where they have options to choose what they want to do and that we've helped them achieve their, their long-term personal goals. And that resonated with me a lot. Um, I, I, both of you know, I had a lot of trepidation. Um, I was very, very concerned if my skills in the food industry were going to be transferable to some of these other industries. And I'm, um, it's probably the most rewarding thing to me right now when I engage with our clients, um, that those skills are transferable. Um, and even though the businesses themselves are drastically different, a lot of the problems are the exact same. <laughs> and we can help business owners work through some of those. Um, I use the word opportunity. Pat will use the word problem. I use the word <laughs> different problem. words for different things, right? Yeah. We can help the business owner work through opportunities. Yeah. So two things real quick. Matt's skills that he was worried about, their leadership skills, and they're absolutely transferable to any industry. So he, he thought they were... Matt doesn't confuse much, but he's confusing industry with, with skills. And he had <laughs> one quick story. He started, I had never met, I met him a week before he started, literally. And so I was, Matt and I were in different offices about an hour apart driving. And so when he started, I, I, I was making a big effort to try and, you know, go talk with him and bring him up to speed. And I, I kept trying to schedule a meeting at eight o'clock in the morning. It, I would leave home at seven and could get there at eight. Matt's like, no, I can't meet till 830. I'm like, well, okay, well, how about next Tuesday at 8? No, I can't meet till 8.30. Every time I tried to meet with him at 8 o'clock to get things going, he pushed me off. And I thought, this dude is not coming to work until 8.30 in the morning. I mean, what a, you know. So one day, I just drove to the office where he was. Every day, Matt would get a cup of coffee and walk around the office and connect with the employees. And literally sit down and ask them about their life every day for 30 minutes. And that's something to learn from. I learned from that. I mean, he's, he's there literally trying to lift people up in, in, in their, in their life and their work. And I thought, okay, we can start at eight 30. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's all right. it, it, we figured out a way to put that into the spreadsheet. Yeah. And, it, and I, what I, what I want to on that right there, I think is important because when you think about Matt, you listening and you ended up buying a bunch of companies. Not, so not only working for Harlow HRK, but then when you're working for Impact and the private equity firm, buying a bunch of privately held businesses. Pat, you've worked for dozens and dozens of privately held companies, as well as even more now with what we're doing. I want to hone in before we get into the problems. Like we know that there's a lot of problems. We're going to kind of get some, uh, get unpack a little bit of like, what are the big challenges we see people having these days? And like, how are people actually making progress? But before we do that, like, what do what do you think business owners want? You kind of alluded to it, Pat. You and I spent a lot of time trying to figure this out. And because a lot of people default to go from 5 million to 10 million, right? Or this amount, of, this amount of employees, a lot of vanity or kind of arbitrary numbers. But we've done some work to try and figure out and hone in on like, what do actually business owners want, privately held business owners? So why don't you, with you, Pat, like, why don't you explain what you think that they want and why and how, and what does it mean to you? Yeah, and so when I when I think about over the decades of working with people who own businesses, and and you and I talked about this, Ryan, a ton. I, th I think there are three things that people want. One, they want to create wealth. I mean, let's just we can't 
let the numbers go too long. I mean, you know, people, <laughs> people do this because they want, they want to create wealth and support their family. They want to enjoy their work. And that sounds maybe cliche, but I'm telling you, my experience, and I think Matt can talk about this too with all the acquisitions he did. When you're not enjoying your work, mm. life's not good. And, and they want to make an impact. And that impact could be with a variety of stakeholders, the employees. It could be your industry. It could be trade groups. It could be your community. It, it could be a lot of things, but they, they, want to, they want to make an impact as well. I think those three things are what business owners want most. As a business owner, that's what I want. <laughs> right. <laughs> as a business owner of Arcona, that's what I want. And when one or more of those things is missing, that's when the business owner lays down at night and, and they're awake and they have anxiety and they're just trying to figure out, okay, what's wrong. But, mm-hmm. I, but I think those are the three things that, that, um, that business owners want. But I'd, I'd mention here what Matt, Matt made 16 acquisitions in 18 months and talked to 16 or more business owners. Well, some of probably them. more. I'm sure it wasn't a hundred percent close ratio. <laughs> does that, does that comport with what you think, what you experienced, Matt? It definitely resonates, and I agree. I'm clear on the acquisitions. It was a it was a team effort. A lot of folks involved. Um, the, the impact piece, I think, is extremely important. Um, I agree, Pat, that all all three levers have to be there, and if one is missing, it becomes challenging. Um, but the, the create wealth piece, you know, when someone has the tenacity to open their own business, and especially if they achieve second stage, you know. They've got some skills and talent. They could go work in a traditional company, not be the owner, and create wealth. They could do those things. Um, you know, having fun. Everybody likes to have fun in what they're doing. The, they're creating impact, and it's different with each person, whether it's within within the organization and the employees, whether it's their community, whether it's their family. Um, could, as you mentioned, could be their industry. It could be within their church, but they, there is a strong desire. And where I witness that the most is when the owners, when we went through the acquisition, you know, they had all they, they all got paid pretty handsomely for their businesses. So they checked the wealth button. We were having fun because we were growing. We were acquiring other companies. We checked that button. They kind of struggled a little bit with what is the impact I'm going to make now? And a lot of it was around their legacy um, because they weren't the sole owner any longer. So I saw it from the reverse aspect and some adopted, you know, the new, the new model and others did not. And you chose to go a different path, but, and I think sometimes the creating impact is hard to define and it's a very individual, uh, it's an area, it's a very individual component of that. Um, but it's extremely important. And I, you guys have heard me tell this story a lot as, as we integrated all of the companies and there was, you know, there was always opportunities, Pat, to discuss problems um, or opportunities, Pat. <laughs> the, ones that the, the ones that became the most challenging to discuss were very, very emotional. You're going to change the name on the front door. You're going to take down the velvet portrait in the hallway. (laughs) You know, they were, they were, you're going to change our email domain. Yeah. Because it's important to the client and the customer. I've had the same email for 30 years. I understand. (laughs) You're going to take away my car. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No, but I'm going to pay you millions of dollars so you can pay off your car. (laughs) Well, you know, what's interesting. Go ahead, Pat. So I was, Ryan, I was going to ask you, um, those, those three things that people want, and, and I think you went through this when you were running your family business and even exiting, 
figuring out what you want from your business and why. Mm-hmm. Can you can you talk a little bit about? I mean, that's the first principle in our educational work mm-hmm. is is what do you want from your what do you want and why? Can you, can you talk a little bit about that? What you went through and 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 even with people we've worked with over the years, how important that concept has become. Yeah, and I think it actually starts with these three things that we're talking about right now, which is creating wealth, enjoying work, and making an impact. And like I think about like even 10 years ago, sitting in my office, not knowing, like, it's just a constant struggle. Like, you know, you wake up and you have the same damn meeting each week and no progress, same conversation, same, you know, you're just kind of spinning your wheels. You're like, okay, well, we've had, we've, we beat this dead horse for this topic of what we're going to do or how we're going to do this, but it doesn't feel right. And I didn't have the words to put it, but it's like, okay, it's something you was usually lacking. And so I got to like the three things that we're talking about, Pat, like from the fact of the pure struggle of like, I'm not having fun, but I have to do all of this because that's like our retirement and it's the family wealth. But also like, we're not even focused on impact yet because we have to, you know, it's like the hierarchy of needs. Like we have to take care of ourselves before we can make that impact. And so I think I, it was like this way of like, constantly having the this the same conversations and not not really feeling the progress that I wanted to feel based on why I was putting in the amount of energy and effort that I was so like I think it's almost twofold it's one is getting clear in those three what does that actually mean to you like impact what does that actually mean to you what does the have fun mean to you and what does wealth mean to you and then yeah. And that's really to, to your question. Like, you know, and as we're launching into the next series, the mini series of the podcast is like, what do you want from your business and why? Bo Burlingham kind of was the first domino with his book, Finish Big, that set me off onto that track. But it's really just because you wake up and you just do stuff thinking that you are supposed to. Right. And it's that like, you know, kind of the robotic behavior versus when you finally go, I'm willing to look up and like, because this is, it's not working. I'm not, I'm not feeling like I'm making the progress like I should be. And so Pat, like kind of moving on to the, taking that thread, because when you and I read this book, Demand Side Selling, you and I were talking about like progress and you and I latched onto that word progress. Can you like, what was your take on why people weren't making progress? And like, what is progress in, in this definition of what does progress mean to you? You know, not, not making progress translate. I mean, people feel stuck. You know, they just feel like they're in the same place this year they were last year. And they're and, and so and a lot of times people can't articulate um, clearly what that means as far as those three things. And I think a lot of it comes from not being able to define what it is you want from your business and why both monetarily and non-monetarily, you know, the legacy of the business, mm-hmm. all those things. And and it's it comes from, I think, a part of it, a lot of it comes from just lack of understanding and education of those of, of those things. Because when we have people go through our course, and once they get clear on those concepts, they're able to chart a path then forward to make progress, to get unstuck. So I think a big part of it, and, and the business owners I've worked with, even, even the owner that Matt and I had, he was stuck. And, and you got to give him credit. He knew he wanted to change. And, you know, that's when he brought Matt in. And, and uh, so I think it comes from not being able to define what it is you want from your business. And so you have this nebulous idea of I want to make progress. I, you know, I'm getting 
maybe you're getting later in life and you realize you got to retire at some point or, or sell it. And where's the money going to come from? And, you know, or it's just a grind. I'm doing the same thing over and over and over and over again. And so I, th- I think that's where I think it comes from. I think education is the, is the foundation. What's your, what, what's April say? You're one of your best friends. Edu- about education, doesn't she say? Oh, there's, education there's... can solve almost any problem in the world. You know, you, you show me a problem, and I, if we can educate people about it, it'll, it'll, it'll get better. Well, I think about Matt and how, how, like when, when you think about privately held business owners and you acquiring, I don't know, a couple dozen of them, or of, you know, was it sixteen or whatever it was, over in just an impact. But like, when you're sitting there and you're having discussions with people, how did this manifest itself? Like what, when you saw their struggle, what, what, how do you, how would you articulate the struggle or the, the lack of progress people were making when they were sitting down with you? I, I think to me, it was even before that, that they're, um, I, I guess I'm wired a little bit different or I had always had a goal and I, I, I knew what the goal was and I knew what it was going to take to achieve that goal. And, um, we joked about this earlier, but my goal was always, Hey, I wanted to have an early retirement and do some, <laughs> other, do some other things in life. So it was pretty black and white to me of, okay, if you want to retire at this stage, what's it going to take to live the lifestyle that I wanted to, to live and provide for my family. So it was, uh, that'll get a kick out of it. It was math at that point. I mean, <laughs> right. Take X per year. And I think I'm going to live about this amount of years. And there's a little room, you know, for air within that equation but it was going to take me to, I needed to achieve that number to, to do that. I've, I've been pleasantly made aware or shocked, I guess is a better word as we've engaged with these business owners, that they, that thought process hasn't really existed. And I'm, I'm under the, the, the assumption right now, some of they're just kind of stuck in the day to day. And they haven't really thought about that. Uh, when you know, we were talking about getting together I think one, I can't remember which one of you made a uh, statement to me that a lot of the business owners, they manage the entire health of their business based on the status of their personal checking account. And I'm just, you know, kind of floored me like, Hey, is that, is that really possible? Like how, how could you do that? You know, I can't imagine running a business and, you know, not having a, what we provide, you know, a three statement model and knowing everything and having you know, more importantly to look towards the future of the growth of the business than look at the past historical performance. Um, because to me, it was always about, uh, achieving that so that I could achieve a certain goal. Um, and I, you know, Pat and I have this expression a lot that, you know, sometimes work gets in the way. <laughs> you got a great idea and it's number one priority in the company and you know, work gets in the way. Um, and, and I think that that happens with a, a lot of the owners and they, they put so much burden on their own shoulder about providing for the associates, not just their family, but for the associates as well. And haven't taken the time to clearly carve out, Ryan, to your point, what is, what is there B, how they get from A to B and what is B mm-hmm. and what's it going to take to get there? Um, so. How many deals fell apart because people didn't know what they wanted? Oh gosh. <laughs> um, we had um, a gentleman, Pat and I know very well that led the vast majority of the deal activity for the organization. And I said, I think it was 16 deals just in that during that there were 16 deals completed. He talked to over 45 companies. So there are more deals that don't close. It's not because of the money. Yeah. It's because of these impact things. You know, what, what do you mean you're going to lay off my, some employees or change the name or change the color? It's always been maroon. <laughs> yeah. You know, well, it can't be, it can't be green. You know, I mean, li- literally people would walk away from, from, from a deal. 
unlike the go forward strategy, you know, yeah, yeah. Like so, yeah, there were definitely more deals that did not happen than happened. So Ryan, we come across business owners. They're not really educated on some of these things. They feel stuck. They feel like they're not making progress. And we're talking about why we have Arcona and what we're trying to do. Where does that fit in? What, you know, from how, how do they get unstuck? You know, if, if that's a word. Unstuck. Yeah, let's roll with it. I, I'm the word. I'm the last person I talk. Right. I don't. I don't like to write. <laughs> yeah, you know. I. I. Th- you know. We've already alluded to the education, but I think. But even getting prior to the education, like what are the concepts that people need to understand actually to get unstuck? But it's like, you know, the lack of progress and like the it's it is truly that issue of like if you can't label something, if you don't label something, you can't do anything with it, right? Like the moment you're saying, hey. Like Matt, you said, this is a goal. Now it's a thing and we can work towards it. Right. But if like, if there, if we don't know exactly what that goal is and that point B that Matt's referring to, we talk about, you know, Google maps, most powerful tool, data and analytics, and pretty much in the world, it's almost like an AI system. You plug in, if you don't plug in point B, nothing happens. Are we biking, flying, driving, taking the bus? I mean, is it going to take one day? Is it going to take two weeks? I mean, what's our budget? I mean, all of those things that go into building a goal and working towards it, I don't think people know. And I think, Pat, like to your point of like, what are the issues? And I think about my dad and I is, you know, you don't know. And that's the worst part. And that's where the anxiety comes from. You're like, yeah, I know that this thing's probably not worth enough to retire. I know that we probably haven't made it to where we need to, or the vision was bigger and we're only halfway there yet. We're 15 years down the journey. So there's a lot of this, like, I know I'm not there yet, but I don't know why I'm running EOS. I've got good advisors. I good, you know, we hired Matt as a CEO back, you know, as your guys' example, but like, there's still that, like, there's something missing and it's really just being able to kind of put some clarity to say, okay, well, what am I solving for? And I don't think most people know that, you know, they got different people like their spouse or their family saying, I want more of your time. Are there employees that want raises? So there's all these like stakeholders that are pulling at them, but they don't know how to thread the needle to make them all happy. I don't know if that's getting towards what you're looking for. You know, we have our educational program and we used to have live boot camps. Now, right now they're virtual, hoping to go back live. And what I, what I was thinking of was we've had, and I can remember one gentleman in, in particular, his name was Steve. And, and uh, you know, they went through the course and, and they kind of understand some of these things. They understand what's preventing them from creating wealth, you know, uh, enjoying work and making an impact. And their mindset kind of shifts and, and they kind of understand that. But I can remember he walked up after the, after the in-person um, session on the last day. And he's like, man, I really get it. I understand. I need help. And education is great. And some people can take it and just run with it and do it all themselves. Most people need help, you know, being guided through that process of, of implementing those things that they've learned. And, mm-hmm. and I, I think that's where we, we come across so many people who, once their mind shift, mindset shifts because of the education, they then look around and say, okay, who's going to help me do this? Mm-hmm. Well, and I think it, this is a, a topic I want all three of us to, to comment on because it's the shift. What, like, what is the shift that we're talking about? And just to kind of put a couple labels to it, and obviously the five principles help with this, but it's this concept of ownership versus management roles that then allow you to see your company like a financial asset. 
And that once you kind of see that, and there was one one person that said like, oh, it's like taking the red pill in the matrix. I see the zeros and ones. And so you now sees the world the way that Pat does. <laughs> but the point is, is like, is once some days when you have that shift in the mindset, you see your business as this asset, which allows different decision making. So maybe to you, Matt, when you're thinking about the acquisitions you went through or like through your journey, where how does how did that concept manifest itself in the conversations that you were having, whether they blurred the ownership versus management versus people that actually understood it? And Matt, when you address that also for the 16 or so acquisitions ahead, in how many cases was that the largest asset that person had? Oh, I'll answer that first. So every one of them, it was the largest asset. Yeah, every one of them. So viewing your business as an asset is pretty, pretty important. Yeah, I think you know, I mentioned this earlier, and I know the two of you believe this as well, that our, our goal is to help a business owner get to the point where they have options uh, without a doubt. But it's something drastically different to look at a business from a buyer's viewpoint than an owner's viewpoint. And um, it was a very humbling day for me. Uh, very humbling, um, but I got some feedback from the PE firm. Um, you know, I could describe it as I, I think I inherited a little bit of a mess. We went several executives. We, we, we had some opportunities and issues, and the relationship with the firm was a little strained. Um, and so I was kind of trying to do everything. We lost a couple big clients. I was trying to do everything I could to plug the leaky water bucket. Um, and, you know, I gravitated towards areas that I felt very comfortable in, whether it was you know, get involved with this sales piece or this operations piece. And I went to a board meeting and one of the uh, members of the firm asked to see me afterwards. And we talked and you know, I was pretty proud of some of the progress we had made because integration was a big key to it. And I'm thinking I'm going to get some really good feedback. Um, and he said to me, he said, hey, you're spending way too much time in the business and I need you working on the business. Um, and we've said that to some of our clients. And, and I always thought I had a, a future outlook view, um, but I... I paused for a second and realized, you know, that I, there were definitely key areas that I was still as a, as the CEO of the organization way too intimately involved. Um, and I, I thought previously I'd always done a good job of delegating and holding people accountable. Um, but I needed to step back from a few key areas and we had great people. We had retooled the leadership team and I had to let, allow them to do their job. And I really needed to start focus on, um, what does the company look like from a buyer's lens? Um, and now with what we're doing at Arcona, that is in no way an endorsement to push an owner towards a sale. That's not state, stating by that at all. But if you do look at the company from a buyer's lens, it will make you look at the company drastically different. Because you'll try and grow the value of that business over time. Absolutely. So that the day that you do want to monetize it or click coupons and and shift your management role away. You, you've, you've worked towards a stated objective Absolutely. And, and, and you're, you're maximizing your choices. And, well, and Matt, don't you think even from a buyer's perspective, I mean, we've said, look at your business like a financial asset. I mean, you're an investor, right? I mean, like if you're going to repurchase your own business each year, which you kind of already are because you own it, right? You're choosing to keep it. <laughs> Wouldn't you like to know what grows value over time? I mean, yeah, on that note, Ryan, it was a very interesting time where we had to make some decisions that were, that were challenging at times, whether we had you know, overinvested in certain software or if we had to execute a riff from people. Um, 
it was always interesting to communicate that message broadly to the organization, um, especially when it's a negative type uh, message. But when I talked to the, the key members in the organization that were equity holders, the conversation was drastically different. <laughs> this is this is going to be a challenge. We're going to find a you know a new plan B, build a new mousetrap. We're going to find our way to to work our way through this. But this is in the best interest of your investment. It was okay. Let's roll up our sleeves and get this done, and you know, go move the needle forward. To both of you two, what do you think is the biggest hindrance to privately held business owners to think like this? Like why, why is this, why is this a thing? I mean, I mean, it's a thing to use your words, Pat, like the amount of times we hear something over and over and over and over again. And then you go, well, it's a thing. I might not agree with it, but it's a thing. So why, why do you actually think this is actually something that is so common? I think there's a couple in my opinion, right? Not just one. I think there's a couple. Um, one, they have to be willing to admit they're stuck. That, that's number one. And two, to, to be humble enough to, to know they're not alone, <laughs> that a lot of business owners feel this way. And there are, there are resources, not just a company like Arcona, but to be involved in a peer group that can help them um, you know, to talk to somebody else who owns a business. And they've, they've been through the same thing, kind of back to the skills conversation I had, you know, a lot of the opportunities within a business are the exact same, regardless if it's transportation or manufacturing or, or SaaS or whatever the case may be. Um, but I think number one is you know, a little bit of self-awareness and admitting, hey, we are stuck. And then two, um, and I believe this and I've lived it and experienced it probably by understanding what a great CFO can bring to the table for the CEO and what a not so great CFO does not bring to the table. Um, the, the owner does not have to be a financial expert. They don't, but they have to have a certain level of education to understand it. Um, and that's where the benefit of a great CFO comes in that can help guide them along that path. So I think it boils down to being able to have some self-awareness on that and a certain level of understanding in order to go seek the education from a, uh, to view the company from a financial lens to help towards, you know, long-term strategic direction. And before you jump into it, Pat, too, I want the listeners to know, and we're going to talk about the role of a CFO, not only a little bit into this conversation, but then we got a, uh, a mini series that's tied to this. It It's not self-serving for Arcona's purpose. Like this is truly how the, the, the progress is made. And we're going to, I want to dive into that because, you know, you're totally right, man. And I want Pat to, to chime in now is, but it's, I just wanted to be known like, this is truly like what you see is why that we're doing it because it's actually helping people. It's not out of like, Hey, we're going to use this as a solution to, to answer the question because it's truly over and over again. We see that that's one of the biggest missing parts, but you know, from Pat, your lens from the actual CFO that it sat for decades with business owners, why do you think that they have had such a hard time seeing it as an asset and seeing all this stuff clearly or, and then, the, yeah, I don't know if you want to just kind of continue off of Matt. Yeah, I, I, it's what Matt said. And, and I think it's a lack of, of the understanding of the finances. Financial statements tell the story of the business in large part, not 100%, but in large part. And time after time after time, we come across people in my career who people think of their financials, well, how much money is in the bank? And they spend based on that um, today, right? Not just not, yeah, not like <laughs> and, and they get up in the morning and they check they check their bank account tomorrow morning and the next day and the next day and that's how they 
they run their business and they they don't have good financials and so they don't understand the story of their business and they can't tell the story of their business and use that financial information to predict the future value of their business. And they, they just don't understand that. And when they understand that, then they don't have the tools themselves because thank goodness everybody's not an accountant, um, you know, <laughs> but it's uh, when they get there and they can, they can see that clearly and they can see into the future then they're, the light kind of goes off. They're, they're looking at, Ryan, you characterize it. They're looking at their business in three dimensions as opposed to just, you know, getting up today and doing more of the same and, and, and doing that. So um, most times when business owners are stuck, they like, I don't have good financials and I don't have a strategic plan. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And my sales effort is lacking. Those are, those are usually the three things. and and. We tend to, to help guide people towards focusing on, let's get the financials cleaned up first. Let's understand where we are, where we've been, and where we want to go. And then we'll, you know, use that information and develop strategies to get there. So that, oh. that's kind of the journey that I think they go on to get unstuck and to start viewing their, their business as an asset and, and implement ways to make it grow. Who doesn't so want their assets to grow? Right. And which, again, it goes back to your point, Matt, about growing a valuable asset to create choices. Because if it's if you're worth a bunch of money, you got a lot of choices, just plain and simple. Right. And you can say no to things that you don't want to because you don't need to. But I want to go back, Pat, you said something that, you know, the business, the, the business's story is told through the financials. And what I think is super interesting and I'd and you're going to appreciate this. I'm going to slightly disagree with how you said something Look at that smile. I'm doing it. I'm disagreeing with you <laughs> is. I think a lot of business owners and entrepreneurs can tell their story of what, where they want to go and what the opportunities are and how they want to capture them, but they can't connect that to how the hell am I going to do this today and maintain it to actually accomplish that. And so there's like this gap, but I, I mean, does that resonate? I mean, with some of the people you've... All the people that we work with, every business owner, they start their business for a reason. They have some vision at the beginning when that when they start that so absolutely they can they can tell that story and it you know you can see their eyes light up you know when they tell that story and Matt and I sat across from people that were trying to sell their business to us and they would go on for hours telling about you know they started this this you know they started making chocolate in the bathtub you know and and now that you know they want to sell their business for twenty million dollars um, but they get stuck when they try and tell you, well, how are you going to accomplish that? If, if you say to them, that's a great story. How close are you to achieving that? They're like, no idea. Because in the end, uh, you know, uh, the business has to be profitable. You have to make money to, to invest and, and grow the number of employees. What, what I don't like to hear is when, when a business owner, what are your goals? Oh, to go from... 10 million to 15 million to go from 80 employees to a hundred. And Ryan looks right at him in the face and says, why? <laughs> Beat their what chest. Are you trying to achieve? And is that helping you and all your stakeholders make progress towards, towards that? So I, I no, I don't disagree with you, but man, in the end, when, if you're going to view your ownership in your company, not your job, but your ownership in your company as a financial asset, you got to tie it to the finances. There, mm -hmm. There's no way around. And, and 
I'm going to just plant the seed because, again, it's going to come up in a later series of Pat, you and I are doing about ownership versus management role and how to actually more clearly see your company as an asset. But in the numbers, you can clearly see your job and your payroll, like your wage compared to like this asset. And so like in the numbers, you can actually see how those are different and the journeys can be different for like what you want from your role versus what you want for your asset. And there's kind of this huge choose your own adventure. But before, and that's again, what the whole point of this new format of the podcast is, is to be taking people on that journey. And, but before we, we, without going too far into the weeds, any of that stuff, why is it that the CFO is a unique role? And I'm going to kind of lay the groundwork here. I want to ask you, Matt, because you've worked with a lot of CFOs and then, then you, Pat, because you've been a CFO for a long time. But, you know, the laying the groundwork, what I mean is, I never experienced a true CFO is from what I've, what I now know over the last handful of years. And when I think about all the people that I tried to get help from, you know, the, the kind of like, you know, the peanut gallery of the peer groups, which are all valid, but like, they don't know the full context of all the ramifications of the decisions I need to make. You got the CPA firm or a law firm or banker who's giving you tactical advice about the specific question that you brought them because they don't have view of the whole picture. And the CPA they're kind of just moving numbers and boxes for the end of the year, but not making decisions every day like, like, like a CFO. So, like Matt, why is it that this uh, the CFO is so crucial, and how as a CEO did you leverage that partnership? Yeah, I think the the why first, Ryan, is you know what's the what the role of the CFO, and truly view that position within the organization organization as a professional based on their training their experience and their knowledge. They have a really unique ability to look at decisions within the organization to see how it affects multiple other areas within the company. Um, you know, operators don't do that exceptionally well. They'll, they, they'll focus on that within operations, but they may not understand, Hey, what is that going to do to, you know, the sales team or the marketing team, et cetera. And the same thing for the sales folks. Um, where CFO is going to have a much broader view of the entire organization. Um, I think one thing that uh, another key, key piece that CFOs bring to the table that most of the other leaders within the organization do not is risk assessment and trying to de-risk the business. Um, you know, I used to joke a lot with Pat. He, he had a couple of nicknames within the organization that weren't the most positive, you know, it could be, <laughs> It could be, oh, Debbie Downer's in the meeting. He doesn't want to do this. He doesn't want to. He doesn't want us to do this. Or, hey, we're not going to get as much money to spend on this as we would like. And I would say, you know, there's a couple of times that those conversations could get a little touchy. And that would say, you want me to take a different approach? And I'd say, absolutely not. And you know, we need to continue to bring everybody's knowledge base up to the to the level uh, to look at things from that. Of, hey, this sounds great. We love the enthusiasm on the sales piece, and you want to go higher you know, five new great salespeople. That's great. But what if the new revenue doesn't come in? You know, and so I think, you know, to be clear and direct and play a little bit of devil's advocate, um, but more than anything, from my view, it's that, that role of a 360 degree lens of the entire company, um, where a lot of folks will, they, they won't view the organization in that fashion, regardless of the level of management. It's, it's really, you know, kind of the CEO and the CFO that, that do that. And I think more so the CFO because the CEO gets you know, probably leans a little bit more towards an, an EOS term, but a little bit more towards the visionary piece. Everything's possible. Come on. <laughs> They're tied up a little bit more in just the overall leadership aspects of the company. 
um, and could be depending on the organization and the industry they're in, you know, associate engagement, customer involvement, supplier involvement, you know, different things like that. Um, you know, I always have viewed it as a CFO as just a great, you know, Hey, here's what my gut tells me. Here's what I think we should do. You know, give me a reason not to. And, you know, Pat and I had that conversation countless times and sometimes it was formal and I would say, Hey, Pat, I want you to dig into this for me. What do you think? And he'd dig in and do an analysis, bring to it. And other times it was a conversation on the drive home at five, five 30 at night. And I would, Hey, I got this idea. I want to start a new department within our sales function. And well, what do you think? And he's like, well, how much revenue do you think we can get? Who's going to lead it? This, and then next thing you know, we started a whole new sales, de- a sub department within a department. Um, but you know, it was always that balance. Um, and then to your point, the role of the, the CFO, I've seen from my opinion, my professional opinion, I've seen great and I've seen not great. The role of the stakeholder, the owner, the CEO, whichever terminology we want to use is so much easier, so much easier when you have that trusted guy that you can lean on. Um, their interest is mutually aligned with the CEOs. They want to create long-term value in the organization. That is what their goal is. And it makes, it makes performing the role of the CEO so much easier when you have someone that you can lean on and you can trust. They can help guide you through those things. Um, Pat and explain, I what is, explain what the word trust means in this context, Matt. Like how did the CFO, like why were they needed to be a trusted guide and how did that actually, how was that validated in your mind? Yeah. And again, um, Ryan, I've worked in um, organizations now that were um, exceptionally large on a revenue perspective all the way down to, to very small and under multiple ownership structures. Uh, but for the, for the stakeholder, the CEO or the owner, to be able to have someone that they can trust and share everything with, whether it is what a potential exit looks like, or I want to monetize more. Um, I'm going to make changes with the executive team. What does this look like? Um, hey, I think, you know, performance isn't going to be what I think, what our desire is for the back half of the year. I think we potentially might have to reduce some headcount. You have to have those level of conversations. And, and granted, I gave a few negative examples, there's just as many positive examples. We want to invest in this area. We want to grow some of those strategic decisions. They take a while to vet and really come up with an ultimate execution plan against it. Um, those things can be distracting to a team and an organization. Um, you know, we had a story earlier that came up on a team call where a, you know, an, an owner made a statement about some things he's contemplating within the business and, it immediately has caused what I, I use this expression a lot. I don't know. It, it causes water cooler talk. Mm-hmm. <laughs> most water cooler talk in the organization is not positive. Most. There are some, but most. And so when you can have that trusted guy that you can bet these things with, add them off of, ask for support, ask for guidance, ask for analysis to support opinion and hypothesis, and then get to that and it not you know filter through the organization until a decision has been made and you have a that you can a communicate and b execute to the best of your ability. It just makes life so much easier, really, for the organization, not just the CEO and the CFO. So one of the things Matt talked about was, and one of the critical roles is financial literacy. You know, teaching the team about you know the impact of the decisions they make financially on the company, and we did that a lot. You know, and we continue to do that with business owners because. Oftentimes, decisions are made in a vacuum. Oh, it feels right. It, it sounds good, you know. But 
what's the impact? The other role for CFO, obviously, technically competent and those kind of things. I've seen a lot of CEOs' jobs be pretty lonely because they're at the top. There are things they can't share with everybody. No offense, Ryan. Salespeople have a certain personality. You can't go. You can't go share some things with them. Operations people have their unique things. You know, even HR. You just you just got to be careful about some things. CEOs need that trusted partner that they can confide in and work with to leverage opportunities. And I'm using opportunities in a positive way. You know, to to make progress with the company or to deal with some of the negatives that that happen. The CFO sees everything that goes on in the company. I mean, they don't. I don't mean that they understand the sales function that much, but just everything that happens in the company. And and CEOs need somebody. They need somebody to stand there with them. I, I remember when Matt was, I was talking to him, and he was looking at what turned out to be his last CFO. And I can remember the conversation. I'm like, man, you need a partner. You guys don't own the business, but you need a partner. I said, I'd prefer that they sit in the office next to yours. And he's like, well, that's not possible. But but, uh, but that partner that can be there and be supportive and, and help make decisions, help run the business. You know, um, what, what, Matt and I have talked often, you don't want, uh, you don't want a, a, an accountant to be the top person and make all the decisions based on numbers. <laughs> but you don't want to make a bunch of decisions without taking into account the impact on the financial health of the company. And Very so good. that partnership is the key. And, and cool. the CFO should be there to help run the business. I always thought too, it was a, it was a balance and they, and the roles, they, they kind of push each other. Um, yeah. you, you know, I had a lot of sales in my background before I joined the organization with Pat and, you know, he would temper me or challenge me at times, but it made us, uh, execute and make better business decisions moving forward. Um, but at the same time, I remember I said to Pat far more than once, Hey, this entire business isn't ran on a spreadsheet and <laughs> we're, we're going to go do this because it's the right thing to do because this, this customer wanted us to, or this client, or it's the right thing to do for the associates. And, and we had, you know, it was to Pat's point, it was a, it was always a really good balance and, you know, you could trust each other and bat these ideas off of each other. Well, and yeah, I think Pat and I were in a conversation. We won't go into today, but I went on one sales call with Matt. So I. And how, what, what's we'll your batting? Next I'm batting, time. I'm batting a thousand. So we'll just leave <laughs> that conversation for a different podcast. Well, it, it, we will. And um, so, you know, when I think about there's two parts to this that I want to talk about. One is the the relationship to t- the, the vision and the, 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 the partnership, but then also from the financial view. So don't let me forget that, Pat. But the, on the, as far as the relationship, I think about when I met you and when I watch other CEOs actually truly meet a CFO, that's a CFO, not a controller, not a bookkeeper. And we'll, we'll talk about that in a second. That's what I meant about the finance, but is I said, Pat, I want to do all these things. And I had a very long list and it's only grown since I've met you of all the things I want to do. And you didn't say no, you said, okay, but how much money, how long is it going to take us to get there? And what are the trade-offs? Which I think is a very different approach than, you know, any other technical advisor that's never never ran a business. It's like, okay, well, I have, there's visions here of things we want to do. 
And then you'd like you'd pull up a spreadsheet and you'd say, choice A, here's here's how that works. Do you want to put more money in? Uh, how do we want to do this? Or if we don't, here's choice B. And then like, but it's like you're giving data to understand, okay, here's what it means on the current cash of the business needs and on the future value, not just running from the checking account. So now back onto my my question or the, the, what I want you to comment on is like. I don't think, you know, because so few business owners view their company as an asset, they don't see it as this investment because they don't have the clear sight into how the financials are organized because they're traditionally working with CPAs or bookkeepers or controllers. Can you contrast how you view a business and how you guide the decision making compared to how like the two dimensional version of the things that we talk about? Does that does the question make sense? Yeah, uh, yeah. Um what what I try and do, what we try and do with business owners, look, most most of the business owners we come across are very smart people. They started a business. They've grown it. They employ a bunch of people. They figured out a process. They're good salespeople or operations people or whatever they do. That, way smarter about the business than I would ever be. They have a lot of ideas. <laughs> and they don't understand the impact of it. And assuming resources are not unlimited and most time resources are limited, being able to demonstrate here's the impact of choice A versus choice B, arming them with the information so they can make the the choice that, that fits what they want from their business and why. And, and as long as when they understand the impact of that, I'm perfectly fine with whatever choice they make as far as direction A or B. And Matt and I had that, we, we came across that a bunch of times, you know, and I'm like, okay, but, and you know, you can have an opinion as a member of the leadership team, but, but the job is to lay out the information and to demonstrate the impact. And is choice A going to get you closer to where you want to be? Or is choice B going to get you closer to where you want to be? And, and when, when you take that approach with a business owner, they're appreciative they become clear eyed. They, they, they get it. You know, that, you know, it's not somebody telling them what to do with their business. That's not, that's not the role of the CFO. Well, and that's okay. Let's let's continue that because I think, I mean, the amount of times I was told by advisors what we should do. And it was on a microscopic part of the entire picture. And then, then I constantly would look and go like, you never ran a business. You're, you know, I, you know there's, a, I love CPAs, I love attorneys and uh, bankers, and all these advisors are necessary if they're the right people that are providing the right value to that, to that um, relationship. But it was never sufficient to fill this void that we're talking about. So, can you explain, I, it, like, how the how you organize the financials to have these discussions? Because not only is it your experience from operating a business. So going back to kind of the guide factor, <laughs> I said to you yesterday, you were talking about one of our clients and yes, you don't run sales departments, but you were going through the conversion rates because you needed to know how much cash is going to come into the, come into the company every single month. So I'm like, say, I think the sales manager for you might be uh, in your future, but, oh, it's, man. Oh, man. <laughs> but it's all these decisions that land into the numbers. But then where I'm, where I wanted you to pick up is how do you organize them in a way that help you and the business owners see it like an asset and see the short term and the long term at the same time. Well, and, and we're going to have a series, right, on yep. financials later on. But but kind of in brief, you, you know, a lot of business owners, I think most, they look to see if their financials show uh, a net income or loss and they look to see how much money's in the bank. And, and that's just not good enough. You need to understand 
you know, a three statement model, income statement, balance sheet, statement of cash flows, 95% of the businesses, you know, that aren't big, either publicly traded or private, don't do a statement of cash flows every month. Tells you where your money's come from, coming from and where it's going. And everything on the income statement eventually ends up in cash. Things on the balance sheet eventually end up in cash. And, and when you don't pull all those together all the time and look at the trends, you, you just don't even have a shot at understanding the story that your financials are trying to tell you. So making sure that you, you, you know, have three purposes, not three purposes, three qualities of financial statements they have to be timely, useful, and accurate. And if, if they're not those things, then you're just, you're flying blind. It's like you, it's like you're driving, you know, with mud on your windshield and, and, you know, you can't see where you're going. Um, and you're always looking in the rear view mirror, you know, so it's, it's uh, having good quality financial statements are just critical in order to help you make good business decisions. It all ends. There's a line on the statement of cash flow called uh, Ryan calls it line 170 because on one of our models, it, happens to be, <laughs> it was one case one, study one, 170. And he remembers that, but it's, it's cash flow from operations. What cash flow are your operations generating? If you don't, if, if you're listening to this and you can't tell yourself what that number was for last month or year to date, you need to do some work on your financials. Well, and, and it's the cash flow every single month, but then how does that translate into the va- the future value? And you're connecting the short term and the long term at the same time. The value of a business is based on its cash flow. It's it's expected future cash flow. And the more sustainable, predictable, and transferable it is, the more value it has. Matt mentioned earlier about reducing risk. You reduce risk, your value goes up. It becomes more sustainable, predictable, and transferable. And when you start looking at your business in those terms and you get some clarity, then the strategies you develop, the decisions you make, all go to support increasing the value of your business through reducing risk and, and increasing the, the sustainability, predictability, and transferability of your cash flow. You might want to sell in a year or never. It does not matter because all when you do those things, it drives up the value of your asset, which is your business, which is the goal. Matt, Matt, what were you going to say? Yeah, I was just going to add when we're talking about kind of the role of the CFO or the working relationship with the CEO, I think one thing that that I've witnessed already in a short period of time out of our own, uh, you know, we're providing the education. I mean, let's just face it, right? And we know that Pat thinks that finance is the most important thing with any organization, <laughs> but most of the rest of the departments and leaders and owners don't find it as attractive and as sexy as Pat thinks it is. And it can be, it can be a little daunting where I think the relationship really thrives. And I've been you know, blessed to have this experience twice when Pat and I ran the other organization together, we had a monthly close and it was a big, huge financial packet and had all three statements and, and done. And you know, Pat would then give me what I would say is, Hey, here's a Matt cheat sheet. What I wanted, <laughs> there were about eight or nine key, key numbers with a you know comparison to budget and a percent change versus a year ago, you know, against our targets, et cetera, that I knew were the main drivers in the business. And he would have some commentary around that. And then that was enough to spur the dialogue for us to say, okay, got to go dig deeper into here. This area needs a little attention. This 
you know, this needs some TLC this week or, or whatever the case may be. And then I experienced that again with a, with another CFO, our monthly close packet got very, very broad, I guess I'll use the word because there were a couple, there were three different business units and we we're so kind of wrapping those together. And the bank, the bank requirements from a reporting standpoint were escalated a little bit. And so our, our monthly packet was very, very robust. And I got everything I needed from her on one schedule and a supporting PowerPoint document with about eight comments. And it was enough where I felt comfortable that I could talk to the organization about our performance and talk to the ownership group about our performance. And if it dug deeper than that, I just would say, hey, CFO is going to you know, provide what you need further than that. But I could answer all the key, key questions. And that alone made the job so much easier. And a great CFO will do that and make sure that there's a a dashboard of key KPIs. You know, Pat and I talk about expenses a lot in the old organization. I think it took me a week to figure out that 90% of the expenses fell on two lines. And I said, I don't care about all the other lines back. You manage that. I mean, yep. in, in, in that business, it was people with data for us, right? And nothing else mattered because it wasn't going to material. You know, I think Pat's the one that educated me on the word material. And from a CEO's viewpoint, that is a key, key thing to comprehend in the business and not get caught up in the weeds if it's not material. So I want to kind of give a quick example of, so like Matt, you know, he's sitting at one of those monthly closes. You're talking about where's the business going? How's the cash flow? Where's the future value? You have an idea that you bring up to Pat. I don't know, executive comp pricing. You may maybe make up an idea or, or a, a question. Like Pat, how, how would you think about that? And I just kind of like walk someone through like how like you would hear some idea from Matt. How would you process it? Man, I don't know if you guys have an example or if we just want to take that and run with it. But I'm trying to give the experience to compare that to a controller who closes the books and says, here's your income statement. By the way, here's your bank account. Or a CPA that says your taxes will adjust inventory at the end of the year. Like how is your idea that you bring to Pat, how is that dialogue different than what people are probably experiencing at this point at this point. Go ahead, Matt. You can, I think you can also talk about the same idea ideas and you can also talk about strategies. Mm. If every year you go through a strategic planning process, which we did and, and we do some with our clients, you come up with a bunch of ideas, but if you don't translate those into how it's going to impact the company through the financials, Again, you don't, I mean, open six offices. Well, what's the cost of that? What's the revenue that you're going to get from that? I mean, Matt and I, we had a lot of people, really smart people in our company who had a lot of really big ideas. <laughs> and and you just can't say no. You just can't say, no, we can't afford that. Yeah. Or no, that's not a good idea. I mean, I'd almost I'd get tossed out of the, what floor are we on? Ninth floor? I forget what floor <laughs> we're on. Um, you know, and... So you have to you have to flush it out and and say here's how this is going to impact that and and you start asking questions how much is this how much revenue is this idea going to generate well if they come back to you and say I don't know it kind of helps them prove to themselves you haven't thought through this yeah I can I can touch on one Ryan it was somewhat recent my career it wasn't Pat it was another CFO who was absolutely outstanding I had the pleasure to work with. But we found out in a lot of the companies we acquired that what I would put under the bucket of compensation management just really did not exist. It was either, hey, the, the owner gave people raises that he really liked or they gave everybody raises every year, no matter what, not based on performance. And so we had things completely out of whack, same exact level, 
same functionality, same core responsibility, just in two offices different the US and the pay was completely out of whack. And I said, I need need some assistance cleaning this up. Um, and brought back to me, you know, just great compensation study done from outside the, the market. And obviously they had partnered with HR as well. But their, their approach was, hey, okay, what is industry? What can we have what's going on in the industry? What can we afford? From a financial viewpoint, what would we like to do from a cultural standpoint? So similar to what I said about looking at the business from a 360 degree view, mm-hmm. it's also one tiny specific project that still took that same concept and looked at it from multiple angles. Mm-hmm. Again, what would we like to do? What can we afford to do? What's acceptable with the industry? What happens if we do all of this? What happens if we don't do part of it? And so, hey, here were some scenarios. But then ultimately came to me with, hey, Here's an executable plan if we want to do this. And and it was somewhat challenging. We had to go to a whole big portion of the population and say, you're not going to get a raise for X because you're in this bracket or whatever. Then we went to another large, large portion of the population and gave them all cycle increases to kind of get to a point that we felt was the right thing for our business to manage long term. And it was it was beautiful. I mean. I didn't have to really do a lot of the work. I just, I, <laughs> there you go. That's what you just resonated with everybody listening in. <laughs> I think you know, I about call the client last week. They're going through some comp planning right now and they really want some assistance. And I said, in the last seven, eight years of my life, I've signed off on about six or eight comp plans and I've never once built any of them. <laughs> yeah. Like I said, the CFO and team, you know, some HR input, you know, they were the author. I just had to sign off on it. Ryan, circling back a little bit, you want to view these things, you got to do what's right by the stakeholders. And sometimes as a business owner, that sacrifice, you have to sacrifice a little bit of the value of the company to do that, if it's just the right thing to do. But the overall objective is to drive the value of the company. Matt and I sold the company to an ESOP, which is an employee-owned company. And we'll get into that, I think, in a series later on mm-hmm. in the year. While the employees don't make all the decisions, their mindset shifted. And when they wanted to do things, there was only one question we had to ask them that really got them thinking, will this drive up the value of the company? And therefore you're part of ownership in the company. And I'm telling you that when people started thinking like that, they, the, the quality of ideas and, and not necessarily the quantity, but the quality <laughs> of ideas that came forward, I think were dramatically different because they were thinking like owners and their goal was to drive up the value of the company. I love it, which is what everybody needs to be thinking about no matter what. And we're going to be wrapping up here. I've got two two more questions that I want us to dive into to call like the next five minutes is you guys, I am so blessed to have you guys as partners. And I think about the journey that I've been on through the exit of our business and flopping around aimlessly trying to figure out who the hell I was and what I wanted and how to find people that cared as much as I did. And I just find it very unique that you know, you guys could both be doing, all of us could be doing, even the people on our team, so many different things, so high quality of people, but you guys are both choosing to do this. And I want to know from each of you why. So I want to start with you, Pat, because you've been on the journey longer, but like, why this, why are you choosing to spend, you're, I mean, man, you're at your age and and career, you don't have to, hey, 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 you don't have to be doing this. And I want to know, and I want the listeners to know like why, and what's, what's your intent with it? This is an opportunity to help lift people up, pure and simple. You know, we we all work a lot. You know, if you, you know, people are at work a a third of the time, at least in their life. 
for business owners, the business is the largest asset they have. And we have an opportunity for those people who need help and want help to help them make progress and achieve what they want. And I, and I view that as lifting people up for, for what they want to achieve. And, and I'm very thankful that I met you, even though it was those five long days, <laughs> 10 hours a day, because you were on that journey to try and do that. And, and I was able to partner up with you and, and that's how I view what we're doing. Awesome. Matt. Yeah, very, very similar. Um, I have a strong, strong desire to help people. Uh, you know, I think I mentioned earlier in the call, if I went, went this crazy path that I ended up choosing, I would have probably been a counselor. Um, I, I like, I like to solve problems. Um, I like to solve conflict when, when multiple parties have, have the problem. I also, and Pat touched on this earlier, it, it can be lonely in the, the CEO type chair, the president chair, which one it can be. And if I have the ability through the services that Arcona provides to offer some comfort to that business owner and help them through this, that is extremely rewarding to me. Very, very rewarding to me. And I want to help that because I also like that we're, we're picky about what type of business owners we want to work with. And they're, they're like-minded like us. And I feel that if we help them and help them make their business successful, they will, they will do right by their associates. And Pat and I went through a couple of events where we had the opportunity to do that with associates. And it was the two best days I've ever had as a leader in my life. I can do that with other business owners. I just think the reach expands. Um, and that, that means a lot to me. Um, that means a lot to help people. That's awesome. All right. Last question is, what does the word intentional mean for each of you? I want to go backwards this time. So Matt, what does the word intentional mean for you? Kind of like I, when I said earlier, Ryan, a, a little bit of an eye opener to me with some of these owners, but uh, you, you kind of have to have a goal. I don't want to say you have to, you're kind of, you have to have a goal clearly, clearly stated what that goal is um, and then what it's going to take to get there. And to me, the intentionality comes in, I'm going to build that plan to get there. So I always use my retirement analogy of, hey, I knew when I wanted to retire. Now, granted, I completely missed the mark on all that, but um, I knew I knew when I wanted to. I knew what it would take to do that to provide for um, the lifestyle for myself and my family. And okay, how am I going to get there? So I had to have an intentional plan to do that. And I think it starts with a goal and then a plan to be able to achieve that. I love it, Mr. Hobby. What comes to mind is the phrase "with purpose." Be intentional, but. I also think of intentional as a mindset, as, you know, whether it's in business or your personal life, or your family or your friends or whatever, to, 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 be, to be intentional about something, your business, it is a mindset. It's not just an activity you go through. It is, it is having a framework and a, and a mindset that's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go on this journey with purpose. And know where I'm trying to get to, which is kind of what Matt was talking about. I'm gonna I'm gonna do the things that will get me there, but giving it thought and and as much about the mindset as as it is the actions. Guys, this has been a lot of fun. 
So we have hit 300 episodes. This is, I couldn't. Congratulations, I, Ryan. <laughs> just stubborn stupidity, relentless. I don't know, whatever word you want to call it. But this is, I'm very excited for the new format, what we're going to be continuing to do. And I'm super pumped to be partners with you guys. So appreciate it. Congratulations, Ryan. Congratulations. Well, you could just tell we just wrapped up with uh, me, Matt, and Pat, so there's no no reason to be redundant here. But I would just say tune in for the next uh, strategy. We're going to be diving into what do you want from the business and why. The first episode, of we're going to be publishing my interview with Bo Burlingham, which really set my entire journey into motion back in 2015. And then uh, we're going to have uh, Dr. Stacy Finer on the show, where we're going to be talking about how to become self-aware and then eliminate your mental blind uh, your blind spots and blockers and understanding your uh, your uh, stakeholder ecosystem. And then we're going to roll in with Rob Dubay, who who is a uh, uh, founder of Image One. He's also in the book, the book Traction. And he's going to be talking about the 10 disciplines, uh, the the, uh, company that he formed with Gina Wickman recently. And then we're going to be rolling into an owner success story with a panel with Dr. Stacey Finer about how a bunch of owners and, you know, did a lot of hard work on themselves to figure out and get clarity on what they wanted long term and how to really break through their blind spots and then, you know, go get what they want because they worked on themselves. So thanks everybody for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed episode 300 and we're off to a new journey. So looking forward to it. See everybody next week.